in John chapter 9. Here's the reason we're going through this entire story this morning. For a long time in uh, the history of the Christian church, this chapter has been viewed as the entire gospel in one chapter. This story gives us the sense of the whole gospel in just this one chapter, in just this one story. So we keep using that term gospel. I want to make sure we have a good sense of what we mean when we use this word gospel. It comes from the Greek word, a family of Greek words that in the English is literally taken as evangel or evangelism. And it's a word that means good news or it's a word in its verb form that means to tell the good news. So the gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news about Jesus Christ. All four gospels tell us the good news of the story of Jesus Christ. So if that's what the word means, what does the idea mean? What is the gospel itself? The good news of Jesus is that sinners have a savior. The good news of Jesus is that I do not have to achieve a certain level of success or goodness. We achieve a certain level of success or goodness in order to be accepted by God. I am accepted by God and then he begins to work inside of my life. Because of Jesus Christ, I am adopted into his family. I become a son, I become a daughter in the family of God, and we become brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. This is the good news. These are some of the basics of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So John chapter nine, why is it the gospel in one chapter? We're gonna read the story of a man born blind. We're gonna read about Jesus healing him. And then we're going to read about the fallout that happens as a result of the miracle that Jesus does in this man's life. His blindness is critical to the story. And it's not just healing of the blindness, the physical blindness, but it's everything else that Jesus does in the life of this man. We're also going to read about the confusion he faces because of what Jesus does, the opposition that he faces, the neighborhood who knows him, they don't know what to do with him. The Pharisees for a little while are of two minds and then they eventually reject a walking and talking miracle. And then Jesus shows up at the beginning of the story and then at the end of this story to complete the man's healing. So as we read, there's a couple things I want us to keep in mind. And the first is this. Where do you find yourself inside of this story? John chapter 9 has several characters in it. And one of them is a character. (laughs) But a well-crafted story like this with a lot of characters and a lot of reactions to this story actually invites us to ask this question. Where do I fit into this story? Who do I identify with? What's my reaction to what Jesus does? Do I see this story through the eyes of Christ? Do I see it through the eyes of his parents? Do I see it through the eyes of the Pharisees? So we're invited to ask that question. Where do I find myself in this story? And the second thing I want us to keep in mind as we go through chapter nine is this. The gospel has its way in this man's life. The gospel, the good news, everything that there is about Jesus Christ that is good news has its way inside of this man's life. 
Jesus sees him and heals him. And then later on, Jesus is going to seek him out and change his life. So let's start reading the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verse 1. As he passed by, meaning Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, yeah, it's he. Others said, no, but he's like him. He looks like him. He kept saying, it's me. I am the man. So they said to him, well, then how are your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus, made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. As he passed by, Christ again in the city of Jerusalem, and we're making our way closer and closer to the events of the cross. The last week of Jesus Christ with his disciples before the events of the cross, and we really start making our way there by the time we get to chapters 11 and 12 and 13. So chronologically, we're just getting closer and closer to the cross. But Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he passes by a man who was born blind. All right, so let's think about that for a second. In his world, this blind man, inside of his world, there is only one way for him to live, to make his way through life, and that is to sit by the side of the road and accept alms. So the beginning of the chapter says Jesus sees a man who was born blind. Later on, the neighborhood says, isn't this the beggar who used to sit by the side of the road, the blind man? He is actually going to say later on in another conversation, it's never been heard of before that someone who was born blind received his sight. So this is important how this chapter unfolds. He's blind, he was born blind, and he was destined to darkness for the rest of his life. He's never seen anything, and as far as everyone else is concerned in the natural course of events, that's how he's going to die. He's destined to live in darkness the rest of his life. So Jesus and his disciples pass by this man, and the disciples ask this question, Rabbi, and to our ears, it sort of comes out of left field. They see the man born blind, and they say, well, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Their question, again, comes out of their culture and how their culture works and what some of their teaching had been as they were growing up. It was their belief that it was because of some specific sin that this man did or his parents did that he was born blind. Now, think about that for a second. 
If he sinned and was born blind, he sinned in the womb. I don't know how that one works, right? But was it him or was it, was it his parents? Did they do something that caused him to be born blind? In their minds, there is this kind of one-to-one reaction in these things. Now, we are born into a broken world. Every one of us is born into sin. Scripture even says that we are enemies of God until God changes our souls, our lives, and everything about us. The disciples don't mean that. They mean something specific about this man. But Jesus corrects them. And he says it's not that this man sinned or his parents sinned, but this happened so that we might see the glory of God. So Jesus tells the disciples, you've got it wrong about this guy. Your perception of this is not right. His blindness is not punishment. What it is, is it is an opportunity for the powerful work of God to be seen in his life. Now, when Jesus says this, you and I immediately think of the physical healing, that God has the power to do something like that. And physical healing is a signal of the glory of God and of the power of God and of the care that Jesus Christ has for human beings. It really is that. And it is something that is utterly unique to the power of Christ. It's the display of God's power and care. But Jesus uses a phrase, the work of God to be seen inside of him. The work of God is to change more than just physical sight. We've heard this before from the, from the mouth of Christ earlier on in John's gospel. John chapter 6, verses 28 through 29 say this. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. That's the work of God. And Jesus says, this situation has been set up so that we can watch the work of God inside of this man's life, the glory of God inside of this man's life. So this man through this story is now gonna stand as a sign for the work of God. And it has now for 2,000 years to people all over the globe. Christ will heal him and Christ will save him. So we really do see the work of God, the power of God, the glory of God at work throughout this entire chapter. And then Jesus tells the disciples this. Again, it is something enigmatic, but it is important to us in a certain way. Verse 4, Jesus says this. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus is physically with them. Now, what does Jesus mean by this? Right now, Jesus is physically with them, and they're growing in their understanding of him, and they're watching him say and do incredible things. In their lives, there's going to come a point. The cross of Jesus Christ and he's buried. There's going to come an actual day in which it feels like nothing but darkness to them. He is dead. It is all gone. They're actually going to lock themselves inside of a room because of their fear of what the Jews might actually do to them. It feels like night to them. But there's another day coming after that. And it is the resurrection. And the light of the world comes back to life. And the light of the world is still at work 
work inside of this world through you and me and the faithful church of Jesus Christ. But a day is coming when the day of the Lord will show up, and that is the moment of final judgment. There is a moment when night will come and the work of the church proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ is then over. So what Jesus says is enigmatic, but it is intended to propel us. It is intended to move us forward with this urgency that the day of the Lord is coming when this work will be done. So our job now is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to whoever will listen. So Christ is pressing his disciples forward. Christ is pressing us forward. And Jesus is clear again, talking to his disciples, talking to us. He alone is the light of the world. As part of the beauty of this chapter, he alone can heal this man. And he alone can save this man. And we now become ambassadors for that light to the rest of the world. So if that's not enigmatic enough, Jesus spits on the ground and makes mud. Every now and then you have to kind of slow down for a second and you can sort of put yourself inside of the story. You gotta kinda get a sense for what's actually going on, the, the sights, the sounds, the smells, the conversation, these tight closed spaces with all kinds of people everywhere. Jesus has just said something we don't completely understand, but we're ready to follow what Jesus says. And then with this blind man in front of him, he spits into the ground. Now, how much spit does it take to make enough mud so that Jesus is down there in the ground doing this? <clears throat> then he takes it. All you germaphobes are just coming out of your skin right now. He takes it and he smears it all over this man's eyes. And then thankfully he says, go and wash. <laughs> go to wash in the pool of Siloam. So Jesus does something memorable and then he commands this man to wash. He goes to the pool, he washes and he sees. All that Jesus has said and all that Jesus has done, when he pulls all of that off of his eyes, he sees for the first time in his life. A man who had never seen anything now sees because of the power and the compassion of Jesus Christ. Our spiritual condition is in this man's story. We are born spiritually blind, and it is only the work of Jesus Christ that can heal our condition. We are born blind. We didn't become blind at a certain age. We're born blind, and we now can see only because of the power and the work of Jesus Christ. Here's a little bit of what the Apostle Paul says about this condition. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he puts it like this. In their case, speaking of those who have rejected the gospel, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We're born in spiritual darkness 
and the gods and the idols and the ideologies and the philosophies of this world keep us in blindness until we believe in Jesus Christ, until he does his work inside of us. And we go from blindness to sight. I've been doing this long enough to know that the proclamation that we're born spiritually blind, that we live in spiritual blindness until Christ touches us is sometimes offensive to people. It's sometimes confusing to people. If you hear this story and you think, well, it's a little bit offensive for you, Pastor Phil, to tell me that I'm walking in spiritual blindness, don't worry, your tribe is coming up later inside of this chapter. There's a group of people who are convinced that they see, and Jesus says, because you think you see, that's why you're blind. We need to continue to hear how this story unfolds to get there. So this is what Jesus does for this man, and now physically he sees, and now this guy is walking around, and his eyes are open, and he sees the world, and the neighbors, the neighborhood, the people who've seen this guy, maybe day after day, this beggar along the side of the road, they don't know exactly what has happened. It's never happened before that a man born blind now sees. So they ask him what happened, (coughs) and he tells them without any hesitation whatsoever. He says, this man that they call Jesus, he told me to go wash in the pool. I wash, and now I see. Keep an eye on this formerly blind man because he is a personality. He doesn't care who you are. He is going to tell you exactly what he thinks. He is a truth teller in absolutely every situation inside of this chapter. Notice something else about this guy as we walk through and we pay attention to the characters and their reaction to these events. There's a progression with a man born blind. He says it was Jesus, so he recognizes him as the man Jesus. Later on in the next conversation, he's going to say, no, I believe he is a prophet. Then in another conversation, he's going to apply, I've become a disciple of this man. And then in the last conversation of this chapter, He worships Jesus step by step by step. Then he comes face to face with Jesus one more time, and he worships him as Lord. It's powerful stuff. Well, we're not there yet, so let's hear what happens next in the story of the formerly blind man. John chapter 9, verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Okay, now, why did Jesus bother making mud? I think the reason, there are a lot of, you know, answers and different commentaries to that question. I think the reason Jesus made mud to do this is that according to the Pharisees' regulations, it was illegal, it was against Sabbath regulations to knead dough on the Sabbath day. That was work. So what does Jesus do? He needs mud. <laughs> he makes a mud pie, and he puts it on this guy's face. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight, and he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, 
What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. So the neighbors bring the formerly blind man to the Pharisees. So this is the inevitable credential checking. The Pharisees are uh, the religious leaders of the day. They're the ones in charge of what is and is not appropriate religiously, especially what you can and cannot do on the Sabbath day. So they want to get this all settled. So they bring this guy to the religious authorities. (coughs) Jesus heals him on the Sabbath day. Now, if you recall, there's another story earlier in John's gospel. It happens in John chapter 5, and it happens next to another pool inside of the city of Jerusalem when Jesus heals a man who had been lame for 38 years. So there are parallels to that story, but the man in that story who was healed eventually turns his back on Jesus and throws him under the bus to the Pharisees and walks away. This man in chapter 9 has a very different reaction to what Jesus has done for him. The reactions of those two healed men could not be more different. But we come back to the Pharisees because the neighbors are trying to figure this out. Is this appropriate? Is this right? What has happened? To the Pharisees, now listen, as they wrestle with this man and what has happened, this is important. To the Pharisees, their Sabbath regulations were more significant than a man who had received his sight. Their Sabbath regulations were more important to them than a man who now does not have to sit by the side of the road for the rest of his life begging for alms to live. They see him as less important than their religious rules. Jesus sees a blind man who needs sight and salvation. We asked this question at the beginning of the sermon, where do we find ourselves inside of this story? If I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, this is an incredibly important point for me. Do I see other people the way the Pharisees see other people, or do I see others through the eyes of Jesus Christ? The Pharisees' perception of another individual, a man who had just been healed, their perception begins with who should be excluded from our religious circles. Their religious world is one of purity and attainment and few in the end really actually make it. Jesus' view of this man, the gospel's view of this man, is to see his need and to know how the power of Jesus Christ can meet that need and change that life. Does that make sense? The difference in these perceptions is so important. Because, friends, our world right now is bending over backwards to make sure you know who is excluded and who is included. And it is the same kind of power of manipulation that the Pharisees are using with this man and everyone who is listening to the conversation. On the other hand, the Christian, the faithful church, refuses to see other people that way. Instead of looking through the eyes of who is excluded from the good news of Jesus Christ, 
We need to learn how to see people and the need that they have and how the power of Jesus Christ can meet that need and change that life. That's the perception we're supposed to have. I'm gonna get specific for a second. Churches that require vaccines to enter a building are the Pharisees in John chapter nine. And church, I'm telling you, As long as I'm around, that's not going to happen here. And churches that say you can walk into this building and there's nothing about you that Jesus needs to change are making the same mistake on the other side of the spectrum. You and I are walking this kind of tightrope with the gospel, and it is the good news that everybody is welcome inside of the doors of this church. They're welcome to come and worship. They're welcome to come and listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to allow Jesus to meet their need with his power and compassion. That's where Jesus is in this passage of Scripture. So the Pharisees are wrestling with what's happened, what's appropriate. They're thinking more about their Sabbath regulations than about the man who was born blind and now sees. So they continue to investigate. John chapter 9, verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who received his sight and asked him, is this your son who you say was born blind? And how then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how now he sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is old enough to answer your questions. Ask him. So the Jewish leadership is still trying to unravel this mystery because it should not have happened. It did happen, but from their perspective, it should not have happened, which is a crazy perspective to have. So they talked to mom and dad. Are you sure this is your son? Yes. <laughs> were you there when he was born blind? Yes, we were there. <clears throat> and we know that he was born blind. How did this happen? Ask him. And they say that because of fear. What is their fear? The fear is that the, pow the Pharisees have the power to exclude them from worship in their synagogue. So they reject their son and they refuse to answer the question. So now you and I are forced to answer a question. When the point of decision comes, will I choose fear or will I choose truth? This formerly blind man, it doesn't matter who talks to him or what they can do to him, he chooses truth every single time. The parents choose fear, and in this moment, they live in the weakness caused by their fear of the Pharisees. Their son, is going to have no problem at all telling these leaders exactly what happened to him 
and exactly what he thinks. So let's keep reading the story. Chapter 9, verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man, meaning Jesus, is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though, though I was blind, now I see. That's what I know. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he has opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us and they cast him out. So for the second time, they call this man round two, right? We're going to pull you right back into the principal's office and we're going to get to the bottom of this. And the way John crafts the story, the way he crafts the conversation is, is really beautiful. He's contrasting what the Pharisees say they know versus what the formerly blind man says he sees and how that's affected what he knows. The Pharisees are wrong about everything they say they know. This man is committed to everything he has seen because of Jesus Christ. And they press this conversation. How did this happen? He said, I've told you how this happened, and you did not listen. Do you want to hear it again? And then the man says, maybe it's become because you want to become his disciples too. Is that it? That's black belt level judo move right there. <laughs> this guy's a character. But it implies something important. He considers himself now a disciple of Jesus Christ. Do you want to become his disciple too? <laughs> Do you want to follow me, following Jesus now? This is beautiful. Does discipleship belong just to the gifted and the seasoned? Yes, it does, but not exclusively so. Does discipleship belong to the newly healed and the one who is now rejected by the rest of the world? Does discipleship now belong to the one who is infant in their belief? Yes, it does. I am now a follower of Jesus Christ. They say, well, you may think you follow him, but we're disciples of Moses. We know everything about Moses. We don't know anything about this guy. And again, they're fudging. They know a lot about Jesus. They've had these conversations with Jesus a lot in the Gospel of John. But they believe that this is their trump card. They think that this is what seals the deal for their righteousness and his unrighteousness. And he outwits them again. He goes, no sinner can do this. 
Only someone who God listens to can actually heal a man born blind. It's amazing that people who say they know everything about their faith cannot figure it out. That's what this guy is saying to these Pharisees. And so at this point, they just say, well, you know what? You're a sinner. Get out of here. You were born in utter sin. And they kick him out of the church. They kick him out of the synagogue. They've lost the argument with a beggar whom Jesus has touched, so they make their power play. Get out of here. Think for a second about what they have done, what the Pharisees have just done. They rejected a man healed of blindness because Jesus healed him. How do you get to that point? What's important to you that you make that decision? They reject a man who has been healed because he was healed by Jesus. We've said this a few times, sort of leading up to chapter 9 here. Jesus is a polarizing figure. When people come in contact in the gospel stories, when they come in contact with who Jesus really is, that light sort of turns on and they realize, oh, this is what he is saying about himself and who he is and what it means to believe in him and not in anything else, to abide in his word and not somebody else's. When that happens, he becomes a polarizing figure and the human heart has a decision to make. Jesus always presents himself as the one and only. And then the human heart has to decide. It is either all or nothing with Jesus. Their rejection of Jesus puts them in this really bad moral and intellectual position. It puts them in the position of doing harm to a man because Christ has done him good. It's put them in the position of doing harm to a man because Christ has done him good. Let's put ourselves in the shoes of the formerly blind man again for the second. What will you do when the world casts you out because of what Christ did for you? Who will you choose? Who will you be afraid of? Who will you accept? Who will you reject? That question, this moment in our hearts and minds and priorities inside of our lives comes in the Gospels with both a warning and a series of promises. The warning comes from Matthew chapter 10. Jesus tells his disciples and those who are around him, now look, if anyone accepts me, in this world, in front of other people, I will accept him before my heavenly Father. But if someone denies me here on earth, I will deny him before my heavenly Father. Here are some of the other things that Jesus says about this kind of moment. We'll get to what Jesus says. Let's think about what John the disciple says. So in 1 John chapter 3, so John the disciple writes this gospel. He writes these epistles as well. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has for us, 
that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. So John is telling his readers, those original disciples, he's telling those of us who follow Jesus Christ, who read his epistles now, don't be surprised if the world rejects you. If they don't know you, it's because they've rejected Jesus Christ and you look too much like Jesus. Don't be surprised. Later on in that same chapter, 1 John chapter 3, verse 13, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Well, that sounds like fun, doesn't it? Don't be surprised. This is what they did to Jesus. And if you look too much like him, they may reject you exactly because of what Jesus has done for you. Here's what Christ is going to say later on in John's gospel. John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Later on in the same conversation, John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus comforts us with these words. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. I'm so much bigger than all of that. I'm so much more valuable than all of that. I have overcome the world. We've seen what the neighbors did. We have seen what his parents did. We have seen now what the Pharisees have done. We've even read most of how this formerly blind man has responded to the miracle of Jesus Christ. The open question we have now in the story is this, what will Jesus do? He's been rejected by his neighbors. He's been thrown under the bus by his family. He's been thrown out of the synagogue by the Pharisees. What will Jesus do? Chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? that I may believe in him. And Jesus said to him, you have, you have seen him. He's never seen anything else before. You see him, and it's he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world. Remember, this story has, has divided people in their responses to Jesus. For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. You think you see. 
It's part of the beautiful paradox of how the gospel works in our lives. If you see your blindness, then Christ can heal your blindness. If you refuse to see your blindness, you stay in your blindness. Something powerful happens in the Greek in these first phrases. When Jesus heard that he was cast out and having found him, it's an active verb in the Greek. This is not a chance encounter. What it means is Jesus sought him out. Jesus went and found him. In a world that turned its back on him, Jesus sought him out. And then Jesus moves to the second miracle, the work of God that he promised the disciples would see in this man's life. Do you believe in the Son of Man? I want to believe. Who is he? You're looking at him. You're looking at him. He's more than ready to believe, and he responds in worship. He says, Lord, I believe that he worships Jesus. This physical healing has now been completed and has turned into spiritual healing. Jesus heals the physical and the spiritual blindness. We begin by saying that this story is like the gospel in one chapter. A blind man is given sight by Jesus Christ. He was destined to be blind all of his life if Jesus did not intervene in power and compassion. The formerly blind man then is dismissed by some. He is mistreated by some, and he is outright rejected by others. But he chooses the man who gave him sight instead of fear and rejection. Jesus seeks him out and saves his soul. His blindness, both physical and spiritual, is healed. And he lives now. He still lives in this sense as a testimony to the work of God inside of his life. Where do I find myself inside of this story? Am I ready to see things the way that Jesus sees them? Am I ready to receive what only Jesus can give? Yes, the physical healing, but then also the spiritual healing of my blindness, that he then would become, as this man says, Lord. <laughs> Lord, I believe. And then we worship him. Let's pray.